1: 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. At center ice, it's Connor McDavid. He's got Darrell Walker, and he's got some room down the sidelines. McDavid to Everly, dishes off, one time. To the 30, 20, 10, 5, score! Touchdown, Eskimos!
2: Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad.
1: Just one little point, one little point.
3: That's all the Oilers trail the Anaheim Ducks by for first place in the Pacific Division. A win tomorrow would give the Oilers top spot in the division with a week to go in the regular season. Man, this has been a fun stretch drive. The Oilers getting it done lately wins in eight of their last nine. They played 13 games in March and went 9-3 and 1, passing San Jose, passing Calgary, who were both ahead of the Oilers in the middle of the month. So, big storyline moving ahead here. We'll tee up that game for you. Talk about a couple of other Oilers related items as we move along tonight. We'll also uh, hear from Uh, Brad Gushu, representing Canada at the World Men's Curling Championships that start tomorrow at Northland's Coliseum. First game's going to be at 2 p.m. against Switzerland. And by the way, our Morley Scott's going to be camped out at Northland. I believe he has actually set up a tent inside the building to be there all week to follow all the curling and give you all the stories both on the air and online at 630 chedcom Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in. Pretty nice day out there. Hope you have a wonderful weekend lined up. It's 6:08. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630 Ched. The gentleman of the station, Warren Mulvey on the other side of the window is our studio producer. Warren, old boy, how's it going? I'm feeling good, Reed. How are you? I'm good. Now, it's uh, April is uh, coming. So is this the last month of schooling for you?
4: Yeah, I think I'm done on the 16th technically. So
3: because you have been a Nate practicum student that's right. Yeah. So you're done the school portion, the classroom portion. That's right. Where you sit there and get you know yelled at by Chris Durham. He takes you to task over and over again. Oh, he sure did. So, so but so are you going to remain with us at the conclusion of your practicum? I sure hope so.
4: I am. Yeah, I have a job. So here I am.
3: Well, congratulations. Well, now what do you it. now what if you just were like I'm not going to do the final work for my diploma.
4: I don't know what would happen. You have to the, hand
3: something. I, oh, you have to write a practicum
4: report. I have to write a ten-page practicum report. But
3: it's double space, though.
4: Well, still, I haven't done. <laughs> I haven't had to do that it? since I was in university. So it's gonna, it's gonna be a lot of b.s.ing going on. Tell I you mean, what, it's, let's
3: let's work on it tonight. Okay. Let's let's work you type work on it tonight while you're operating the show. I bet <laughs> you can get a solid three pages done in the next two Probably. hours.
4: Probably. I am gonna read the news tonight, though. So.
3: Well, I'm a little time? busier
4: than normal. At what time? After your show. Oh, good. We're a little shorthanded, so I'm going to help out and I'll we'll oh. be reading the news. Well,
3: there, there's something to include in your practicum report. You have you learned about the diverse skills needed to work at a radio station. Exactly. you got to be able to operate. you got to be able to go on air. you got to be able to read the news. you got to be able to know the hockey
4: scores, all that kind of stuff. Sorry, slow down. I'm writing this down. <laughs>
3: he's, he's writing it down as we speak. <laughs> uh, well, we got a great text to start off the show. Uh, I don't know who wrote this. You sign your first name to your text if you can. I always like to at least uh, sort of feel like I know who's talking. This uh, texter says, Trailer Park Boys are coming out with their own beer. They will be coming to town in May for a signing. Any chance you'll have them on the show? Go oil! Well, I guess there's something to look into now. <laughs> there, there's, I've always said we do take suggestions from listeners. And we have had uh, listeners suggested segments on the show. So there's there's something I didn't know. The trailer park. I wonder what the trailer park boys beer is called. The bubbles beer, perhaps. I don't know if Warren's going Warren's gonna to look it up. Good stuff, Warren. Uh, you can text 30 The phone number is 780-496-0063. Yeah, the Oilers have won eight of their last nine. Here's a steal at center
1: ice. short shorthanded to the net. Rich John, and he rung it off the post. So one post for each team. Martin for San Jose, and Kajula second post of this many nights. McDavid makes a move to the net. Backhander, score. Shorthanded goal, Connor McDavid, and Edmonton leads for the first time.
4: You know, the guys are feeling pretty good. Um, You know, clinching the playoff spot against L.A. is big for us. Um, You know, the fans are are behind us, and and that feels good. Um, You know, we're excited to come to the rink. We're excited to play the games. Um, I think uh, it's a good time to be an Oiler.
3: Excited? It's a good time to be an Oiler. It's nice to hear, isn't it? This isn't wind-down mode. This isn't what is our uh, draft lottery percentages. I was thinking, Warren, the plan is that I'll, I'll get to go to the draft in Chicago. I think I've been to the last three NHL drafts for our coverage, and it's usually around this time of year. It's like, okay, I better start doing some prep, making some notes on some guys. The Oilers are always – every year I've I've gone, they've drafted uh, – maybe I've been to four drafts. No, three. Uh, I was at the Dreisaitl one, the McDavid one, and the Pugliarvi one. So they've drafted third, first, and fourth. They're going to be nowhere near that point unless they, they, they make a trade. So I'm thinking this year, I'm not going to do any prep at all. Like, would, would, would listeners accept that if I was just like, yeah, I was covering playoffs this year. So I'm just going to show up at the uh, United Center five minutes before we're on air and just tell you who everybody picks because the Oilers are going to be picking 20-something.
4: <laughs> I think you have a really good excuse <laughs> this year.
3: I don't know if that would bother people if I just was like, hey, welcome to the draft. No idea who's ranked where. Oilers pick 24th. Here we go. Apparently, the Trailer Park beer, according to Rob, is called Freedom 35. Is that what you found? Freedom
4: 35. All right. Uh, A lager. Freedom 35 lager. Since I know you like craft beer, so.
3: Yes. Well, that's good. And I do not like mashed potatoes. Freedom 35. So there's, well, all right, well, we'll work on, I guess, the Trailer Park Boy Beer segment as we as we go along. Uh, you can text 630-630. The Oilers winning last night 3-2 over the San Jose Sharks. They were uh, outshot 40-22. The Sharks really carried the. I made a note here with 10 minutes and 20 seconds left in the first period. The shots were 12 to San Jose, so the Sharks really uh, carried the the opening moments of the game. The Oilers obviously responded. That shorthanded goal by McDavid put them ahead to stay. Scoreless second period, and then they trade goals in the third for for the Oilers' victory. You know the Oilers have allowed 75 shots over the last two games. Talbot stopping 72 of them, so he continues to be strong. That's a 960 save percentage over his last two games. Uh, the Oilers had an optional practice today over on the community rink, the downtown community rink. I believe the Lumineers are playing Roger's place tonight. And, but, but I said to McClellan, okay, so the, the shot total is is getting up there. You know, you don't want to give up 40 shots every night. But how do you assess how the team is is playing You know actually defensively and in terms of the chances you know I assume it's it's deeper than just looking at the shot clock
2: you know as the game's progressing you kind of get a feel for for how your team is playing and obviously we didn't start real well yesterday but um, thought as the game wore on we evened it out a little bit and then uh, near the end they got a number of of shots um, in both games the LA game and uh, and the San Jose game so we go back and Evaluate uh, the type of scoring chances we gave up, the, the quality of it, the uh, pattern that exists. Are we giving it off the rush? Are we giving it uh, face-offs, D-zone, rebounds, uh, that type of stuff. And um, if there's a consistent pattern, we know where to go to fix things, or at least try to. Um, if it's random, then we look at individual players. Are they uh, reacting right to certain situations? And, you know, the last couple games, um, San Jose is very much a, sh- a volume shooting team and la is as well and they uh their their shots for and against spread are, are way up there in the league um you know number one or number two i believe uh, uh so we knew that going into it and one of the things you can't do as a player is keep looking up at the uh at the shot clock and just evaluate your game on that you got to know what your input's like and um like i said our, our start was not where we needed it to be against that san jose team but we did uh work our way back into the period
3: all right head coach todd mcclellan so and, and I mean, they get up early the morning after a game and watch the game again and make notes and prepare for practice. So he says, you know, you look at is there a pattern to the shots they're giving up? Is it more random? Is it just the result of maybe some, the way some individuals are playing that night that they're giving up the shots? And certainly an indication there that you, you almost expect to be outshot by San Jose. You know, I, obviously you don't want to flirt with 35 or 40 shots every night, but but I will say this. I, I think there's a lot more control to the Oilers game than there has been in years past, even more so, that I think, than there was earlier in the season. And I, I think they're better at protecting the dangerous scoring scoring area on the ice. And they may be giving up a large volume of shots. Not all of those are necessarily you know, grade A opportunities. Now, San Jose did have a 2-on-0 that they didn't get a shot on net on uh, because Braun didn't quite get a good pass across to Marlowe. But I, I think that's something to watch for down the stretch. You, you don't want to continually be outshot because a lot of averages is going to say the other team's going to get some puck luck and they're going to start going in. Um, but I still think you see a, an Oilers team that is a lot more protective of the scoring area in front of their own net. And quite frankly, I think against LA, the last couple of times they've played LA, a lot of the shots have come from the outside. And probably the you know the 35 that the Kings had the other night, there weren't a whole bunch of dangerous ones. Maybe a few late in the game when they took the goalie out. You can text 630-630. We'll have a little bit on Patrick Maroon's continued success. The phone number is 780-496-0063. I'll update the scoreboard as well. It's Inside Sports on Chet. <laughs>
4: Hey, this is Jordan Eberle from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630
3: Chet. All right, games underway tonight at the NHL. Penguins lead the Rangers 1-0 halfway through the second, late in the first. The Islanders up one zip on the Devils. One of the games still to come. Flames against the Sharks at seven. Flames trying to lock down a playoff spot. You can text 630-630. Gordo says the Nugent Hopkins line doesn't look very good. Could it be due to less ice time? Didn't think they had a great night last night. Uh, Nugent Hopkins, Eberle, and Lucic, I think, have been uh, better over the last 15 to 20 games than they were over about the first 50. I don't know if uh, I don't know if the ice time really factors into that. Randy says, so when the Oilers uh, outshot the opposition, it's dominating. When they get outshot, it's fairly inconsequential. Shot location and such. Got it. I'm sure the Talbots 960 over the last two games would continue, even with the shot location of the opposition shots the last two games. That is from Randy. Well, no, Randy, if you'd listen carefully, I'm not saying it's inconsequential. Uh, I specifically said it can't continue. And I said in general this season, I, I think the Oilers have had games where maybe they've given up a lot of shots, but they weren't always dangerous shots, and they do also have a very good goaltender, which has helped. Talbot is having a great season. I wouldn't want them to continue giving up 35 to 40 shots, regardless of the quality, because the law of averages state eventually some are going to go in, or the other team's going to get some putt luck. Which I said before, Randy, Uh, TM says, is Todd McClellan the real deal or could anyone coach this Soiler team? Well, I I think Todd McClellan's a good coach. I thought he was a good coach in San Jose. I think he continues to be a good coach. Rocket says, I drove a 79-280Z back from Keene, New Hampshire. Drove through Chicago on my way home. Never moved for three hours as I got there right at rush hour. That was a hot wait, but got some great picks while I was waiting. Would love to go there, too, for the draft. We went to the McDavid draft in sunrise. That is Rocket texting in to 6.30, 6.30. McDavid, dry sidle, maroon the Oilers most dangerous line
1: wide open McDavid left circle back door one-timer score Patrick Maroon finishes and just like that Edmonton has tied the game Maroon with his 26th of the year
2: anytime you have a career year and you double your goal total it doesn't matter what type of player you are it's uh, it's dramatic and I'm not talking about going from two to four you know he's he's up in the high 20s now and He's had a a tremendous season. He's always had his his size. He hasn't shrunk or grown at all. Uh, But his his hands and his sense, he fits that line well. And... his uh, fearlessness to go to the paint and, and score in and around that area is is what's really getting it done for him. So um, is he unique? There's some other players in the league that, that do that as well, but uh, we feel fortunate to have him and uh, we need him to continue to do what he's been doing.
1: Dry settle in from the right-hand side. You've got Sekra pounding it around the boards. It's Dry subtle throwing it in front, deflected wrist shot. Russell has it, tipped home, And once again... In what has been a magical season, Patrick Maroon creating the net front presence, and this time able to siphon one pass, Martin Jones. Being in the room room with him and seeing the uh, the mindset and the attitude that he brings to the rink every day, um, you know he he was you know he just puts himself in the right positions, brings uh, the right attitude every night, and, and and works as hard as he can. And I think when when you have that uh, that type of mixture. Uh, you know, great things can happen. Obviously, he uh, he goes out there and lights that makes a difference for us every single night.
3: So Maroon, his two goals from last night there as called by Jack Michaels. He's up to 27 on the season. He had some comments from Darnell Nurse and Todd McClellan about Maroon's year. 27 goals for Maroon, the last left winger to have 27 goals for the Oilers. You probably remember him. He did it twice. Taylor Hall had 27 exactly in 13-14 and also in 11-12. He scored 26 last year. So Maroon, with one more goal, would actually surpass Taylor Hall's best goal-scoring season as a member of the Edmonton Oilers. Now, obviously, Hall did not play complete years in, uh, in a couple of those years because of injuries. But it's it's very interesting that Patrick Maroon has turned out to be the winger that has gelled the best with Connor McDavid. You know, it didn't, uh, didn't quite click for Hall last year. Everly and Lucic have had chances this year. Didn't quite click as well as it has with uh, as Dreisaitl and Maroon. Now, Dreisaitl, another very good point producer, who I think is able to see the ice and, you know, see offensive opportunities almost as well as McDavid. And Maroon you know, for the most part, has kept it fairly simple. He says, I'm going to the net, and I'm waiting for them to get me the puck, and that's how he's got a lot of his goals. Got a nice uh, deflection last night as well on the Chris Russell tip-in shot. Okay, also want to let you know here, Edmonton's Caitlin Osmond has won silver at the World Figure Skating Championships in Helsinki. She's quite a story. Uh, You may remember she broke her leg very badly in 2014, so she has recovered from that to hit the podium at Worlds. Another Canadian, Gabriel Daleman from Ontario, wins bronze, first time ever. Canada has had two women on the podium at the same event at World's. So good stuff there for Caitlin Osmond. We'll continue to set up the Oilers and the Ducks. First place showdown, Bob is going to check in. We'll also talk to Aaron Eric Stevens, He covers the Ducks for the Orange County Register. You'll also hear from Canada's Skip, Brad Gushu. He's hitting the ice at Northland's Coliseum tomorrow for the World Men's Curling Championship. We're back after the 6.30 news inside sports on Chet.
4: This is Ryan Eugen-Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched.
3: So the Oilers and the Ducks tomorrow. First place in the Pacific on the line. 630 face-off show right here on 630 Ched. The game will start at 7. Going to bring in Bob Stoffer in 30 seconds. Just a couple of other notes here. Tiger Woods announcing tonight that he will not play in the Masters next week. He's going to miss the Masters for the third time in four years. Obviously, he's been uh, battling back issues for quite some time. And I just noticed this. The Baltimore Orioles have signed the son of Cal Ripken Jr. to a minor league contract. His name's Ryan. He signed with a Class A team. He's 23 years old. So uh, no pressure, kid. But you can never miss a game, ever. How would you like to be Cal Ripken's son as we bring in Bob Stoffer? But talk, talk about talk about trying to live up to your father, eh, Bob? There, there's something impossible.
5: Well, I don't think you can, right? Like We have Ty, uh, Ty Gretzky, uh, as you know, has been on uh, Oilers now, and I know you've had him on your show, too, and he's involved in a bunch of different uh, projects, but... You got to kind of carve out your own identity, and I know what you're saying. It's uh, it's got to be a difficult situation for the Ripken kid to deal with in uh,
3: Baltimore. Same organization, yeah. That's I I guess I was just reading about him now. I guess he was originally drafted by uh, the Washington Nationals. But anyway, I just thought that was an interesting little aside. And I mean, living up to uh, to legacies or past performances or whatever you want to call it is uh, an interesting thing in this city as well, Bob. And I know when we when we talk about the Eskimos, I, I mean, I still get people calling in, well, why don't the Eskimos use Franklin and Riley the way they use Moon and and Wilkinson? And I'm always like, well, it's different now. And, and people want to make direct comparisons between uh, the current Oilers and the Oilers teams of the 80s. And now, you know, the 06 team is getting a lot of fond uh, memories about how they went to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. It's interesting because I think in sports, you always want to honour that history. The fans who experienced it enjoy sort of talking about it and reliving it um but yet there's a new generation or the or the fans who felt that the first time uh want to feel it again and i think some of the 06 guys they're like okay cool but you know it's been so long yet another team carry the torch down and, and get some attention
5: oh I, I think that's fair and the other thing is the 06 team ultimately didn't win i mean they had a heck of a run they accomplished a lot they exceeded expectations but they did not win the oilers of the glory 80s days and it was reinforced for me, Reid, when we were in Winnipeg for the Heritage Classic. You know, they're introducing the Oilers players. And, you know, the, the second highest scoring defenseman in NHL uh, history, three-time Norris Trophy winner, Hall of Famer Paul Coffey. You know, uh, six-time Stanley Cup champion, five with the Oilers, Hall of Famer Glenn Anderson. You know, and you realize uh, they haven't even gotten to Messi and Gretzky yet, right? And it was just like. Uh, it, it's got to be a tough situation. I know at times the guys in the '90s, and certainly the guys in the 2000s, felt it incredibly difficult to live up to. Uh, this this group has got a chance to have something pretty special because, like that great uh, era where we had terrific teams for the Oilers in the 1980s, they got you know what you and me probably think is the the Gretzky of this generation, different player, but a player of that caliber leading the way in Connor McDavid, and then, uh, you know, now you've got an organization with some experience at GM and head coach that has built a different type of team, so away we go. Uh, We're still in the embryonic stages, but, Reid, I hope you're up for it. I have a feeling over the next five to seven years it's going to be a pretty special time well, here in the
3: city. Well, Absolutely, it's it's so much fun and, and and just to hear how amped up the crowd was over the last two games and uh, spurring on the team to defend in the final moments against Los Angeles and San Jose was was pretty cool and I mean it's going to get even louder in that building as we move along Bob, you're going to like this text from Sean who do texts fairly regularly, I think he writes into your show as well and I, was, I did a little uh, piece on Patrick Maroon in the last half hour, by the his 27 goals matching the best output by a uh, left winger in the last few years. Hall did it twice in 13, 14, and 11, 12. Uh, and I was saying, you know, that line's been working together, this, this, and this. And Sean says, McDavid blank and blank. Best line in hockey. Go Oilers. That's, that's from Sean. I don't know if it's quite that simple, but he, he as he does have the potential to make a lot of guys look good, though it has been interesting that no other winger uh, grabbed it over the last two years that I guess year and a half because McDavid missed half a half year with injury no no other winger grabbed it to the extent that Maroon has
5: well dry settles it's pretty good I mean they're the highest scoring tandem in the NHL so on the right side but in terms of the left side I mean it's interesting with Maroon because I think it's going to create a bit of a quandary for Peter Shirelli down the road I mean He scored and you know, let's face it, Reid. For me, after he got to hat-trick against Boston early January, I honestly believed he could get 30 goals if he stayed on that line. And I thought it was going to be inevitable that he would get moved to the first unit power play. He hasn't. And that's something people need to keep in consideration. Like, he's sitting there at 27 goals, and he does not play in the first unit power play. Milan Lucic does, and Lucic has eight power play goals. And I get why they're doing that with Milan. Part of it is, look, they brought this guy in. They got him to commit to their team. He brings obvious leadership abilities. To this juncture in his career, he has been a far more consistent performer than Patrick Maroon. But Maroon has become a cult hero here in this market. So it's going to be uh, very intriguing to me uh, to see how Maroon does next year, again, if he ends up on the left side, because I think the owners have lots of options. But the one thing I'm looking at is I think you can cement in that they're going to be going with – you know, Maroon and Lucic as their first two left wingers, and then they've got some different options down the middle. You know, long term, are they obviously McDavid's going to be here? Pulleyarby at some stage is going to be here on the right side. So does something give? You know, that leaves you with dry Nugent, Hopkins, and Everly in the top six. One of those guys is probably going out at some stage, and I don't think it's going to be Leon. So, you know, uh, that said, I read. I don't know about you, but I've run the numbers six different ways, but Sunday. And the orders can keep everybody on the team next season and still come on under about a seventy-four and a half million dollars salary cap. That includes, you know, Leon Dreisaitl getting a you know six to six point three million dollars per year on a seven-year term, and then a four million dollars second pairing D-man, be it Russell or somebody else.
3: Yeah, well, and it's funny because people were asking us. We had a caller ask about that last night. If McDavid becomes the highest-paid player in the league, and he will, but not until. 14 months from now, I guess, or whenever that contract. I'm
5: not, I'm not convinced he's going to be the highest paid player. How come? How come? Uh, Because I wonder whether or not they do a shorter term. I'm serious about this. I mean, you've got his rights uh, for several more years. Maybe you're just looking at a, uh, you know, at a five-year deal, which takes you in a one year in a free agency before free agency. I'm, you know, like I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be very intrigued to see what they do there. I mean, three-year deal, he's going to he's going to get the full bonus this year. He'll probably get the full bonus next year unless he gets hurt. Um, maybe he signs five years at $9.7 million, And then that allows you to readdress where we're at money-wise, you know, at that stage, five years, you know, seven years from now. I, uh, you know, it's going to be pretty interesting to see. But the assumption that he goes eight years at, you know, 12500000 bucks, million, I'm not guaranteed... Part of me thinks that they're going to, you know, maybe there's a different way to, to bridge this, get him to assess the situation. There's, there's, you know, the automatic assumption, well, they're going to lock him for as long a term as they can. Says who? Maybe they don't.
3: Well, maybe they don't. I I, I mean, I think for security, wouldn't you always want your best player for as long as possible? The five-year suggestion is an interesting one to me, Bob, because I don't really consider that a bridge. To be a bridge deal is two, maybe three yeah, years. Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, case in point, San Jose signed... Uh, both Logan Couture and Joe Pavelski to five-year deals at six million dollars per. Right, and right. those those they're both in year three of five-year deals, and those deals expire. So San Jose is a team that they've you know they've got uh, Thornton and Marlow are unrestricted free agents. I assume they're going to re-sign Thornton. I think they're going to let Marlow walk, and they're going to need that money in two years from now to re-up Pavelski and Couture uh, because they're going to be their two best forwards when that happens. So you know maybe maybe you do go a five-year deal with. Uh, you know, with Connor. It, that, and again, for the sake of argument, maybe that number is 9.7 million. Some people suggest that they should bridge Leon. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you know, Leon Dreisle right now is on pace for about 76, 77 points. So, you know, Monaghan got 6.3. You know, Shifley's in and around that range as well. That's probably the number that Leon's going to come in at. But uh, they can afford everybody because they got Connor in an ELC, because they got Maroon one more year at $1.5 million because Anaheim's spending, you know, 500K, uh, picking up 500K on that deal. You know, they can afford everybody for another year. But one thing we've seen about Peter Shirelli, he's been, he hasn't been unpredictable because he has done what he said he was going to do. But he has been a little bit surprising with who he's moved out. That yeah, and don't I'm not saying for a second that I would expect a, a guy like Drysdale to go, but a year ago at this time, if you told me that it was going to be, uh, you know, Taylor Hall and not Nugent Hopkins or Everley, I think you and me would have been like really, and it turned out to be Taylor Hall, as we all know.
3: Yeah, for sure, that's a good point, Bob Stoffer Joining us, you can get him uh, every weekday from noon to two here on six thirty. Chetty Hoist Oilers now, and of course, he's the color commentator on our broadcast. Where uh, start the game starts at eight o'clock tomorrow. Oilers and Ducks. You know, I I had a clip. I asked Todd today a, a clip about the the quantity of shots on goal that the team has allowed over the last two games, and I suggested you don't want to flirt with that total all the time, even if maybe they're not all dangerous. In San Jose, their most dangerous chance, that they, they had a 2-on-0, they didn't get a shot on. Uh, Randy, who often uh, will have a differing opinion from me or, or try to keep me in check, says, okay, Reed, so when the Oilers outshot the opposition, it's dominating. When they get outshot, it's fairly inconsequential because of shot location and such. Uh, I understand what he's saying, but I will say this, especially against L.A., I, I thought the grade-A opportunities were quite limited, and the Oilers have become quite a more protective team of the dangerous scoring zone.
5: Well, you know, when you have NHL players of the caliber of Drew Doughty talking about the fact that the Oilers top-end guys are committed to playing defense, that's a pretty ringing endorsement for the level of commitment that's there. Uh, L.A., to me, they just shoot from everywhere, and that's why their numbers have always been a little bit skewered and when they when and they could afford to shoot from everywhere before because they had centers that could win face if they got draws in the offensive zone but they're not rolling out stolen mike richards on their third and fourth line anymore so their possession metrics are a little bit different they are they do get shots but the, there's no question the game against la was very deceptive now last night you know, the orders cannot continue to play that way. They won't win yeah. games. So, and they'll be out in the playoffs in a hurry if they play like they did last night. So they're going to have to amp their game out, Reed, against Anaheim. Now, that said, uh, I, I don't think they'll have a challenge doing that. I think that Anaheim plays a different type of game. Uh, they don't mind bowling teams as well, and I think that's going to get some of the orders bigger bodies going right from the get-go. I mean, you take a look at what Todd did last night at Tom McClellan. I mean, he pulled Maroon off the th- third shift in the game. He moved Kajul up, who, by the way, is coming. Like, Drake Kajul is starting to become a player here right in front of us. So, uh, you know, and, I, and then Maroon got back in there and McDavid, you know, fed him with a tap in. And how about the response from Connor after the goal? Oh, that was for, incredible, eh? Well, he's trying to get Maroon going because Maroon got yeah. a little bit, you, you know, and Mar- Maroon and, and Lucic, in different ways, they sleep a bit. Now, they sleep a bit during the regular season. Uh, Maroon's done his best work in the playoffs, with Anaheim we will see what happens. Once we get into uh, you know the real time.
3: Well, one of the cool things about McDavid, there are many, but his reaction to goals, and I mean he is. And I remember you know you you and I both talked to Chris Knobloch a lot. You've known him longer than I have, but he, you know, he made the point on this show that Connor is happier for other guys than he is for himself. Like, he wants the, the teammates to succeed and feel an equal part of success, even though he's going to be the leading scorer on the team. And, I mean, he's his, re, his reaction even to his own goals, I mean, he almost looks like he thought he was never going to score before. There's just so much There's so much joy. And, and I mean, Maroon has uh, good, joyful reactions, and I think some of that, and, and Darnell Nurse was asked about Maroon this morning and just said he's like a kind of guy in the locker room that you just rally around because he has a lot of positive energy.
5: Well, he does, and he can back it up as well. So there's a lot going on there, you know, and it's, uh, we're, in a, we're in a good spot. And as he mentioned, it's a good time to, uh, you know, to be an Oiler. And I, I think that uh, for the Oiler fans out there, they recognize that I know where, that wherever you go, people want to talk about it. There's an excitement level, and all I'm going to say is I, I'm of the firm belief that we're watching a team right in front of our eyes become pretty good. They're still a good team. They're not quite elite. Mm -hmm. But I do think, you know, barring injury over the next seven years, I can see the team five or six times winning 45-plus games and being a close to a 100-point team. And that's pretty exciting. And, you know, given where we were at at the start of the year, I don't know how predictable that was.
3: Yeah, well, they've they've uh, oh, they've surpassed what I thought they'd be able to do this year for sure. I know you were. A lot I can't more believe closer.
5: you got that wrong.
3: Well, like, imagine that. I'm, I was wrong. <laughs> I'm so I've so su- often
5: right twice in my life. Reed, let me tell you.
3: <laughs> do I dare ask which ones they were? Uh, well,
5: I got Detroit back in oh8 We heard that last night. Right. You know, I got that serious with the others. <laughs> I'm joking, but you know, it's it's a, it's an exciting time, and I think we all know. You know, anybody. The funny thing is the start of the year I, I brought an an Eastern member of the media out to an establishment that you have uh, been at before and there was probably four or five ex pro players there. Every one of those guys to a man, this was before the regular season had started. Every one of those guys said the orders was making you know, the, the were gonna make the playoffs. And this individual who is from uh, Eastern uh, works for a, a major national organization and is based in the East was laughing So finally, one of the guys said, all right, put your money where your mouth is. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, and he looked right at the guy and said, the Oilers are way better than people think. They've got, you know, they were better than people thought last year. They didn't have McDavid. Uh, they didn't have Clefbaum. Shirelli's built a better defense. At this stage, the Oilers are already signed Chris Russell. You know, Talbot had shown signs in the back half of last season. He was going to be number one. And there was more than one guy that wanted to challenge this guy from the East. And so we just we just had a little bit of fun. It was all between guys, right, just right. shooting the proverbial crap. But, like, four of the guys at the table had either played major junior or played minor pro, and one of them played in the NHL. And every one of the guys said the same thing. Edmonton's going to be a way better team than people think. And I, I found that, that, like, there was – and this wasn't fanboy cheering for the older stuff. This was guys sitting there going, no, you know, they have the best young player in the world. They've got – a vastly improved defense. They've got a lot more size up front. They're they're gonna, you know, they're gonna be a surprise team. Now nobody predicted that a couple of the other teams in the West would fall off to the degree that they did. Now that said, like I'm surprised how strong the Pacific has turned out to be, and stunned at some of the struggles with the teams in the Central Division. So that's played a factor in it, but it's been exciting to watch, and I think we're going to be watching a lot, Reed Wilkins, over the next five to seven years.
3: Well, and the fun continues tomorrow. Bob, thanks for being so generous with your time, man. I'll let you get back to your Friday night, and I'll see you at the rink.
5: All right, see you, Ray. Bye-bye.
3: That's Bob Stauffer checking in tonight. Oilers and Ducks tomorrow, 6.30 face-off show, is when our coverage will start right here on 6.30 Chet. You can get us at 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. We're coming, uh, oh, there's a text I'll have to read when we get back inside sports on Chet.
1: This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched.
3: Oh, a little classic Brian Adams on a Friday night, eh, Warren? This is off Reckless, right? This is the first tape I was ever excited to go by as a young Reed Wilkins growing up in Evansburg. Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Okay. Uh, The Fizzler texting in, and I believe, uh, Fizzler, if you're still listening, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I believe the Fizzler is a regular texter to Oilers now. This may be his first text ever to Inside Sports, so I do appreciate it. And the Fizzler says... uh, And I believe the Fizzler has a bit of a friendly... uh, Maybe not rivalry with Bob. They have some friendly back-and-forth banter, shall we say, Warren. You know what I mean? So the Fizzler says, Hey, Reed. funny how Bob always predicted the Oilers' success when no one is around to hear it. (laughs) Uh, Ah. Well, I do believe... um, I do believe, I didn't ask, I think Bob said 44 wins this season. I said 38, so I'm going to be wrong. And here's the thing, as soon as I got into sports casting, I realized people are always going to want your predictions, and you're often going to be wrong. And sometimes people will just ask you a prediction out of the blue that you never even thought you'd have to give. I went with 38 wins, which is also what I said last year. And they only got 31. They improved from 24 to 31. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to make it simple. I'm not going to shoot too high. I'm going uh, uh, to call another. I'm going to call another seven-win improvement and just go from 31 to 38. And again, I am I am gladly wrong. And I believe I said 92 points for McDavid. He's at 91. I'm thinking he's going to be good for at least two points. <laughs> In, uh, in his last five games, given his track record. Uh, Chris and Victoria, I have received your very personal text message and I appreciate you sharing it with me. I'm probably not going to read it on air though. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. Uh, we have Brian on the phone. Hello, Brian. Hey,
0: Reed, how's it going tonight?
3: Doing quite well. How's your Friday? I hope you're not working.
0: Not today, or not right now, but i got to do it again tomorrow. But, hey, you know what, Keeps the Wolves from the doors. Good. Now, here's my question to you is, what do you think the odds are of the Oilers potentially having three 30-goal scorers on the same line this year?
3: Well, they're all very close, right? McDavid uh, needs two goals, Dreisaitl needs three, and Maroon needs three. Now they haven't quite been together every single game this season but that's certainly been a pretty consistent line. Uh, I you know tomorrow's I I think the next 3 games will likely be fairly low scoring against Vancouver the last 2 uh, I think anything goes in that two and then those I two because I I don't know what Vancouver's going to bring I think right.
0: Tomorrow's going to be about a 5-4 game.
3: You think it's going to be high scoring, eh? I
0: think it's going to be high scoring. How come? But you uh, you know what? I think they're they're both going to be a out for blood. And they want that first spot. And they're going to be going big guns. And it's going to be... I think it's going to be almost like in an anything you can do, I can do better. And one's going to come at them. Uh, you'll get the first goal. The other team's going to come right back. I think it's just going to be like a ping-pong game.
3: Well, that'd be fun to watch for sure. And like I said, the, the Oilers can't give up that many shots because... Even if they're not all good scoring opportunities, eventually something leaks in, right? As good as Talbot has been. So now, hopefully they can keep que- the shots my main down. My
0: question is Has that ever happened in the NHL before where there's been 330 goal scorers on the same line?
3: Oh, on the same line.
0: On the same line?
3: Uh, well, did. What was Gretzky Curry's and Kruzel Nisky's best year? I'd have to go back to I think it was one
0: year where Curry and Gretzky both got 50.
3: Uh, let me just quickly Google Nisky's stats. I I've, I've had him on the show and he's talked about that one big season that he had and then he then say they're asking to be a checker the next year.
0: But did he ever get 30? Thir- I don't think he ever got 30.
3: He got 43 in 84-85. So in that year, no this was a totally different year. Okay, in 84-85 Gretzky had 73, Curry had 71. And Kruzel had 43. And I think, weren't they aligned in 84 85? Uh, I believe they were. I'm pretty sure they were. I mean, Coffee had 37. Anderson had 42. <laughs> Messier had 23, but he only played 55 games.
0: That might have been the only year that that's ever so,
3: been. There. Yeah, well, in, yeah, in Oilers' history, I mean, obviously they had some high scoring teams, but it was usually Gretzky and Curry were together with somebody else. And then but Messi even, and Anderson were together with somebody else, right?
0: But I think even if you go back through history, whether it was uh, Bossy, trace Esposito, Hodge, uh, <laughs> none of those lines had 330 goals.
3: scores. And, and you know what, Brian, I'm not old enough to remember who was on the <laughs> Lafleur's line. Like, I was I was born in 74, so I know Lafleur was great, but I couldn't tell you who his linemates consistently were. Do you remember that?
0: Uh, I believe shut. was... Uh, was his line mate for a while? Uh, so who
3: was the center then? Geez,
0: um you know what? I I can't recall. The, I no, I don't even think Gainey. No,
3: think Ganey was a winger. Was Lemare a center? Uh,
0: could have been Lemare. Because
3: in '78, in in 1978, Lafleur had 60, Lemare had 36, and Shot had 49. I wonder if that was a line. Somebody's going to remember like and text in, but.
0: Might have been. It was just something I wanted to, to bring up. In this I, era, uh, it's pretty
3: impressive. Ninety goals from a line. You know what?
0: I and and I'll give you one more quick prediction. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Oilers will actually make it to the third round. I believe, and I think the second round will be Calgary Edmonton.
3: That'd be incredible. I I think the Pacific is wide open. I think they got a pretty good chance. Brian, I got to run to the news. Thank you for calling. Okay. Have a great night. We'll continue to tee up the game with Eric Stevens from the Orange County Register. He covers the Ducks. We do have open line time, 780-496-0063, Inside Sports on CHED.
1: 6.30 CHED, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at 6
0: on 6.30 CHED.